Um, you want to know the order I got here? No, you always read them. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, I guess that's well. I kind of like the jazz music of. You want the surprise? Well, I'll know it from the intro. Yeah, but I also like the surprise. Well, you'll have a surprise intro. surprised welcome to a perfectly podcast episode 181 we did it we're back a couple of very fancy feline gentlemen headed out of the caves into the sun um we've we've done it we've made it through the shadows of the this is yeah uh, uh, sorry i i just realized this is this is our first appearance of wolverine issue right 181 that's exactly what i was getting at Thank I knew you. I knew that's where you were going. You just We've need a little poke out of the cave. We've guest appeared into the Incredible Hulk's book, and here we are, the old knucklehead. Uh, where every Tuesday we talk about a whole bunch of comic books because they came out. We're a comic shop. Django and I own a shop. It's the comics place. It's a great fucking place when it's open. Everyone should come hang out. It's um, pretty great when it's closed. It's pretty gay. It's pretty great when it's closed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, either way, we used to talk about comics on Wednesdays. Now we talk about comics on different days because do- days don't mean anything. But we still get comics on Tuesdays. And we got to take a whole bunch of delicious comic books home this week mm. and uh, got to read them in a really relaxed, chronological... Like The chronosphere of reading comics is way different than it used to be, Django. Oh, fuck yeah. Um, that sucks. But what I mean by that <laughs> is that um, I can wake up on Wednesday morning and not have to be in the comic shop at eight o'clock in the morning. And I can just make coffee and casually read comics for a couple hours. That's very, I cool. read so many comics in the sun on my adult swing in the backyard, dude, I'm about to get that exact same adult swing. I'm pretty sure it's, it's the exact nice same adult swing. Um, and I just can't wait to get out there on the sun mm-hmm. and fill it up. Yep. Yep. I um, highly recommend it. Yeah. And yeah, so that's, but no, not today though. Today, Django, on the day of recording <laughs> this podcast, which is not the day that it goes up, today, thunderstorms. Yeah, no sun today. No, thunderstorms is what it was. Yeah, fun day. That's, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> that's a lot of fun what you just did there. <laughs> so then we come back to the comic shop and record a podcast, either related to or unrelated to the comic books that we read that week, the store that we know and love, or the comings and goings of our lives. And these days, there's not a lot of comings and goings. It's a lot of sitting and staying. Not as much as I'd like. I feel like if you were to get out, like get an old phone book and tear the map of Bellingham out of it and trace where I go every day, you would just wear a hole in the drive from my house to the comic store and back. Yesterday was my longest, biggest delivery day ever. Yeah, that was a lot of deliveries yesterday. Um, yeah, that was a you, long one. Yeah. Um, I, had, I, only I had, had two, 12, and a half, two and a half hour interview with Chris Claremont to listen to. Yeah, I only had 12 deliveries to do, but uh, it took three hours or so. Yeah. Yeah, you had like 35 or something like that, didn't you? Yeah, and it took, it took, it took a while. It yeah. took a while, probably four and a half. I, you know what? It's great. 
It's great, man. We have a store without having a store. I'm really glad that we can kind of stay in touch with all these people. Yeah, it is great. I miss them being in our store. Yes. However, I did deliver comic books yesterday to the Gibbonses. Yeah. See, I didn't know for sure that I was at their house. So I parked and I got out and it was like second to last delivery. So I was just like foggy. And I was like, (laughs) I, I like walked up the stairs onto the deck because, but I couldn't find the number anywhere, but I was like, I've seen pictures from their deck. I know they have a deck and I was looking around and I couldn't find the number. And then they just sort of all appeared out of the door and they were like, Jeff. And I was like, I love you guys so much. I also delivered comics to the house immediately next door to the house with the dog that exploded out the window. Oh God. It is crazy to walk by a house that has like cardboard taped to a square of their door and know exactly what happened. And not only know exactly what happened, but also feel kind of guilty about it. That's not on Ellis, is it? Yeah, it is. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I think it's so cool that we have people who order independently who live very close to each other. Yeah. 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 Well, Jeff, uh, you don't know what we're going to talk about, or you don't know what order we're going to talk about. No, Django. I'm so glad to be talking about comics because they exist, um, but I don't know which order. So, Django, why don't you tell all of these? I'm Jeff, and... And I'm Django. And... Great. And now let's talk about the order. <laughs> we're going to talk about Outer Darkness Chew number two. Killer number one. I like it. King of Nowhere number two. Bitchin'. Also, The Amazing Spider-Man number 43. Slayer. Venom 25. Nice. System of a... D. I, I, I wanted to try and make a cool pun. I fell apart. You can just go. <laughs> uh, now we're going to talk about um, two Aftershock books that start with the letter D. Disaster, Inc. and Dead Day. Then we'll talk about Marauders number 10. And we're going to wrap it up with last week's Deadly Class number 44. Good, but, good you know. job. I like it. Who knows if that's really last week's comics are just kind of coming out whenever they want right now. What is time? It's a flat circle, Jeff. And we read flat squares. We do. I live my life as a square. Outer Darkness Um, Chew by John Lehman Afu-Chan with some guest art by Rob Guillory. Yeah. Uh, This was weird. Squiggly Guillory. John Lehman can just kind of do whatever he wants and it's, just sort of good every time, I think. Have you read all of Chew? No, but it was great while I was reading it. Have you read? I, I have it all. What else has he done? I guess my point is, I, can't, I don't really know a definitive John Lehman tone. And it, it, this, this issue of this series is very meta. And even into the writing of it, he writes himself and the artist as ideas that are mentioned. Yeah. And he sort of jokes about like, oh yeah, John Lehman is famous for writing relatively basic, basic plot lines that he then cuts up into small sections and rearranges to make it seem more interesting. And I was like, I actually don't know John Lehman well enough to know if that is like how I would define him. Well, I, he, he does kind of lean on that sometimes. He did a, a run on Detective, like two or three volumes of Detective. Chu did a lot of time jumps like that. Um, he did Eleanor and the Egret with uh, Sam Keith, mm-hmm. which had a lot of that kind of stuff. The Man Who Effed Up Time is oh, one of his books. Oh, okay. Um, and he, like Outer Darkness does that kind of thing too, you know? Mm-hmm. He's just, I think he's got a really good handle on absurdity and sort of like bizarre situations. 
if that makes sense. So I love Outer Darkness. It's one of my favorite books that was coming out. It has been coming out except for the, you know, eight weeks where nothing came out. Um, And I'm really happy that this book exists because when volume two of Outer Darkness ended, it was like, all right, cool. That closes out season one of Outer Darkness and we'll be back for season two. But it felt like a lot of those image writers who are like, and we'll be back for another volume. Maybe in two years. I don't know. (laughs) So to get this follow-up that quickly is awesome. It's better than no Outer Darkness. But having not finished Chew and not know a lot of the characters from that book, which all managed to appear in this, I wasn't getting like a lot of cathartic fan service that I think Chew fans would be getting from this. I read the first 40-ish issues of Chew. I think it was 60 issues long. And I feel like I read 40 or 45 of them. Um... I didn't. I don't know that I got far enough to really get a lot out of the, these characterizations of these people in here, but uh, I, I did appreciate. Like I knew who most of them were and enjoyed seeing them again. Um, the thing that I thought was super interesting was just them kind of admitting in this issue that the characters that have been transported here from Chu are just basically hard holograms like they're they're not actually plucked from the world of chew but then watching how meta those guys get when they're discussing you know where they came from and they're looking at the history of the chew comic book and And showing all the covers yeah all the covers and they're you know they 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 can find things out about each other and themselves because they haven't finished living out the comic that has been finished for hundreds of years in this issue i love so it's it's so to picture it it's outer darkness is a basically star trek like a really dark fucked up star trek and in this one essentially they introduce a concept that is the same as the hollow deck in star trek and it's even like visually done the same as like a, a square room that's just gridded out and they realize that they are a hologram of that that's been brought to the the spaceship of a comic book because the character possesses ability um, that the ship is trying to interact with that a, a unique race of aliens has as well. So they bring these fictional characters to life, um, and then those guys realize what's going on. So they use the hollow deck to bring all of the fictional characters from that comic book to the spaceship as well. But the really cool thing about that is in that page where they bring like a full page shot of all of them to life, it is done in squiggly squiggly gillery art <laughs> and uh and i i love just getting a i love how much they're creating a fluid relationship between both of those art styles yeah. and then it goes to the afuchan art style and it says hold on let me adjust hollow computers setting away to non-gillery so like <laughs> um it's it just i the meta nature of this issue i love i like that this yeah. whole mini series will be that meta um I think it would mean a lot more to me if I had read Chew as well. As it stands, I'm just like really hard on about Outer Darkness and I you know, am interested in Chew. The tone of the two is very different. Like Chew is pretty lighthearted and just kind of, I don't know, like it's a lot more self-aware, a lot more comedic than Outer Darkness. So to throw those characters in the Outer Darkness world, because like you said, it's it's Star Trek, but with demons instead of warp drives. It's, you know? it's like a cartoon show that I'm glad my parents didn't watch with me. Sorry, Outer Darkness is like, glad that they didn't watch with me because then they would know that I shouldn't be watching it. Like it's like, yeah. it's like The Simpsons, you know? It's like, it's a cartoon show, but on some level you still felt like 
you're glad your parents didn't know you were watching it. Like Outer Darkness yeah. feels like that to me, whereas Chew is a little bit more, even it's though it's like very dark. development sci-fi almost. Yeah, yeah. Like that kind of silliness. Yeah. Where um, are you in Arrested Development right now, bud? Oh, halfway through the second season. Yeah. Yeah, for like the ninth time or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought that this book was pretty solid. I even liked the politics that they were doing. Um, like the reason that they bring Tony Chu in is because he can he, he can kind of communicate with food. Like his main power is that he can eat food and know its entire history unless he's eating beets. And uh, they they bring him here to try to communicate with this race that can only talk through food. So uh, he has to have a meal with this scary looking alien. And, um, and Tony knows that once he's communicated with this alien and, and set everything on the right course, they're going to destroy him, the hologram, Tony Chu. And the, the, the gag that I thought was the best in this book was where Tony takes a bite of the food and can understand the alien. And the alien basically is just like, hey, bro, it's uh, like... We want to do this and this and this and this. I don't know what these guys are thinking, but uh, we think this is a pretty good idea. And Sorry about getting a little riled up last time. That was not <laughs> yeah. our nature. Like, can you make sure they all know that we feel really bad about that? <laughs> Tony's like, well, shit. He wants everything that we want. And if I tell, if, if it's actually this easy, I'm going to die. So like the, the, now the conundrum is how does he get out of this one? And uh, I, I, thought, I thought it was really slick writing. Yeah, and I thought it was very slick art. No surprise, Afuchan does most of it, and it's some of my favorite art in comics. I uh, I liked everything I read of Chu, and I think I'm missing one issue, and that's why I never finished it. Um, which is a dumb reason, as a guy who has access to every trade paperback. But that's where I'm at. Um, that's where we're at. We got to create filters somehow. What do you give it? Oh, I'd give it a seven and a half. I think that is exactly what I was thinking. Like um like a good issue of just kind of a meta comic, but yeah. not a great issue of Outer Darkness. And I think that it works, like it's obviously the middle issue of a story, but I think that it works fine on its own. Like I think somebody could just stumble across this in the 7-Eleven and, and read it and be intrigued. Do you ever think we'll get there again? Do you think we'll ever just have comics <laughs> in grocery stores again, like spinner racks? Do you think that's ever going to happen? I don't know, man. The... the I think that the business model for grocery stores has changed so much that um, I don't think that it's financially responsible for a comic book company to pay grocery stores for shelf space. And that's kind of how grocery shops work now. Hmm. So I, I don't know. I mean, we, the reason we can make comic books a thing that pays the bills at all is because we sell so many of them. And yeah, but just the reason that like that that shelf space in a grocery store is worth more than you could ever make on four dollar comics. Vertical spinner racks, baby. Yeah, yeah well, take up the same amount. Meyer. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like, you know, I think a thing that both Django and I, or me specifically, not to speak for Django, but I do think it's true for him as well. On our deliveries, we're doing these hours and hours of deliveries, and a podcast is a great thing to accompany that. And I want to do a real big plug. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't listen to or watch the Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel or podcast, so it's, good. it's so good. And it's been what's keeping me focused on comics while I'm doing deliveries, and which isn't always necessary, but I, I do like to do that. And one thing they were talking about is just that, that change in business model where like, mm. you know, 
so much of comic books being able to be sold was that to be stocked in grocery stores meant that you already had like a guaranteed built-in sort of print quantity, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And, and then what you were doing in the market, like the direct comic shop market is all just sort of fluff on top of that. And, but the thing is, is that presented uh, in a, an experience where like kids could go to the grocery store and just see a comic and grab it. And I I do think that probably grocery stores are more responsible for more random people getting into comics than Mm -hmm. anything. Oh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where we are right now without grocery stores and seven elevens and that's where Roman got his. And so, you know, it is a bummer that both those models don't really work to incorporate, but it was the best way to like comic shops were thriving at that time as well, because people would go to a grocery store like a comic book and then go to a comic shop. Now you have to go to a comic shop. If you're going to a comic shop, you already want to be at a comic shop. There's not a lot of like surprise grabbing you, but we also didn't have Marvel movies and all sorts of shit, but it's, it's an interesting question that was brought up and I have thought a lot about. It's a big shift and uh, it's, yeah, I don't know. We could we could probably fill up a whole podcast musing on that. But that's not why we're here. Why we're here is to talk about the next book in the rundown, which I don't remember because you did it several minutes ago. Oh, Jeff, it was uh, it was this one right here. It was the, the King of Nowhere, number two. By that, I know that w. I Maxwell Prince and Tyler Jenkins and Hillary Jenkins. Ooh. You know I only what? have the stack of the comics that I read, and I haven't read that one. So please, I had said that I you know, months and months ago when issue one of this came out, I had said that I would probably keep reading this series um, if people told me after issue two that it was quite good because number one didn't quite grab me. This is quite good. Um, It's still super weird. So the guy, like, our our main character wakes up or or has gone home with his buddy who has a fish face from a bar fight in the previous issue. And the fish face dude is just kind of like... uh, I don't know. He's a wheeler dealer. He's always scamming people for money. And that's, that's what the, what the fight in the previous issue was about. And so they kind of go out and go explore the town and um, you know, we meet more people, people without skin. We meet a dude who's got um, two, two heads, one little tiny one growing out of his neck and they both have distinct personalities. Hmm. Um, and uh, like he kind of sees through the fish guys, um, you know, scamminess. The fish, um, the fish guys. Yeah. G-U-I-S-E. Yeah. Uh, no, G-U-Y apostrophe S. Yeah, the uh, fish guys, no, guys. Yeah, yes, yes. The fish guys, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and then I was we trying to a- turn it into a Natalie Portmanteau. <laughs> oh, sneaky. <laughs> um, and then we go back to somebody who's killing the, the bizarre people, the people from nowhere. And we also meet a talking tree who talks in mixed up language. Um, but his name was Greg and he turned into a tree at some point and he's family been there tree for a really long time. Yeah. It's family, a sequel to the Jeff Lemire book. Yeah. Um, and it's, I don't know, man, this, this book, I think as much as I love Tyler Jenkins, I think this book would benefit from a different artist. Um, but I'm, I'm totally into it. I think uh, I think W. Maxwell Prince is just a good writer, uh, especially with super wacko, bizarre shit. 
and this definitely fits that bill i bet uh, his first name is like wayne but it doesn't fit yeah. his writing style or the maxwell print so he abbreviated it yeah wobbly yeah uh, it's interesting to hear you say that you don't think it necessarily benefits from having tyler jenkins on the art because the the sort of main thrust of this book is that it is sort of hard to distinguish like reality from dream logic and it's sort of hard to have your feet on the ground and tyler jenkins's art i think kind of helps that because it is so kind of like ethereal and dreamlike but i could also then see how when the when the main thing of a book is sort of like trying to distinguish reality from non-reality that a little bit more cohesive you know foundation would be nice which is sort of what my problem with it was which was was like i don't i can't really distinguish any of reality from non-reality here um and i think it's all reality yeah i think that this is a place that strange things and strange people end up okay um and who knows why this normal looking dude has ended up here but uh i i i get the feeling that we're on earth because like the the dude who's go who's going around killing people is just kind of a bummed out human you know like he's he's freaked out by these people like i don't think you could call him a racist but he's a whatever the people of nowhere are wrist yeah Um, gosh yeah and i you know as as far as the art and and what you were saying it's it's kind of like i think we've talked about chuck palaniak books Mm -hmm. before where he writes unbelievable characters in unbelievable situations. And I kind of want a believable character in an unbelievable situation or vice versa. But when you gang it all up, um, it's a little harder for me to get into. It's, you know, you saying that is really interesting to me because fight club is one of my favorite pieces of fiction. Mm -hmm. And it is actually like right on the cusp of almost being a thing that I don't like at all because it almost doesn't like fit together and make sense. Cause it's like, like you're saying an unbelievable person in an unbelievable situation. I've never thought about that before, but like, I love it. And it, it is like the twist at the end does make it all come together enough. Right. But the bulk of that movie is like a very uncle. Like, is this a dream? Why doesn't this make like, right. what is not adding up? Like, I don't, it's like a math problem. I can't solve. But, um, but that's it. It's a math problem. It's, it's not quite a dream and it's, the setting is very grounded in that. Yeah, I really you know, want to watch like, that fucking movie again. Like you're you're never walking around on a on a Mobius strip in that movie. You're, right. you're walking around on these dirty streets with this confused dude. But there's something you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that that's an interesting Chuck Palahniuk, um comparison. I like that. Did you have you read the book? Yeah, I did. Did you like the book. the book or the movie more? Gosh, it's been so long since I read the book. Um. You know, I really only remember that in the book, a guy takes his penis out and puts it in someone's soup and that that wasn't uh, directly in the movie. They, they um, just allude to it. Yeah, yeah. I, would I avoid the chowder, sir. Yeah, yeah. It. I think that like outside of that, I think I felt, I think that I felt like it was pretty close to the movie. Is that not right? Um, yeah, it's pretty close. The ending of the book, I think, is not as good as the ending of the movie, just because it's hard to figure out that that whole last chapter is mud. Yeah, it's really hard to get the pixies in a book. Yeah. <laughs> that fucking scene is amazing. That was the first time I ever heard the song 
by the pixies. my mind. Thank you. Which yes. is an incredible piece of music. So what do you give King of Nowhere? Uh, I would so give King good. of Nowhere uh, also a seven and a half. Okay. It's, it's definitely a different seven and a half than Outer Darkness, but they don't have nothing in common. Oh God, that's a Django sentence if I've ever heard one. Nowhere they don't and have outer nothing in common. Nowhere and outer darkness don't have nothing in common. Wow, wow! If you Take were that a cowboy hat, as you had said that. Next on the rundown is Amazing Spider-Man number forty-three. Oh man, I cannot wait to hear you talk about this because I wish I was reading this book. I've checked in on you know lots of little issues, <laughs> but I dropped off regularly reading it after the Hunted arc which is, I think, yeah. I think was in like the late 20s. Um, and I love Ryan Otley's art. And what I love so much about looking at the images of this very issue was how much he, his Spider-Man looks like an updated Todd McFarlane Spider-Man. Yeah, the, the, the Spidey in here is great. Uh, this is the third and final issue of the Gog storyline. Um, and Gog looks awesome. Boomerangs, like everybody in this book just looks rad it it's like the perfect hybrid of todd mcfarlane and eric larson i think um because it's super angular kind of sharp sharp images but something mcfarlane cartoony about it too like the posturing and the webbing feels cartoony i or mcfarlane rather i totally feel like there's a, uh, a larson vibe in there but then like his face itself feels like a modern updated ryan otley current thing yeah yeah. Um, so this is one that uh, our buddy at Marvel, Jeff's best friend, David Gabriel. I love that guy. Telling retailers to definitely bump your orders and make sure you get a bunch of these because it's going to be uh, a hot issue. You're gonna Dude, I love that guy. I don't remember that at all. <clears throat> I, you should have told me that when we ordered that. Well, it's the first appearance of Spider-Man's pet, oh. which is just a Hank Pym particle sized down gog. Oh. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> it's it's totally fine it's a little bit uh like david three issues leading up to gog eating popcorn on the couch with spider-man and his bad guy roommates it's fine check um, this out uh gog um first appearance amazing spider-man 103 december 1971 huh. I so I'll bet that Roman knew that just off the top of his head, but I would have guessed that it was in one of those first thirteen issues of Amazing Fantasy because he's got that look of an old Kirby. I was going to say Kirby, and this is Gil Kane and Roy Thomas. Yeah, um, but it's very Kirby. Even to like remember in the the Thor, the Mighty Thor run with Jason Aaron and Russell Dowderman, like Mangog is oh, a yeah. Kirby villain. I wonder, yeah. this seems like a, uh, a derivative of that. But how was yeah. it? How did the arc wrap up? This is like Spider-Man and Boomerang being buddies, right? I mean, yeah, it's th- this, this whole series has kind of felt like a throwback to um, like the good parts of the late 80s, early 90s, mid-90s Spider-Man stories. So okay. like pretty quick reads, mostly self-contained. Even if they're not self-contained, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a full serving. Um, and little teases for things coming later. Like we, we talked about that in the first few issues where they were teasing this villain forever and ever and ever. And I don't, I don't even know if he actually showed up yet, but if he did, Kindred. it was in the last 10 issues or so. Yeah. Um, he keeps slowly making appearances. I, I really like that form of storytelling. Yeah. I wish that the overall story <clears throat> had kept my attention a little bit more so that I had been party to all of these small teases of him. 
I think you can safely dip in and out of this book whenever and however you want. I sure have. And I don't feel like I've, um, I don't feel like I've missed anything. And I don't think I would be bummed out if I went back and read the other ones, but none of it seems super huge or essential, but all of it has been fun. Even the hunted stuff, which I didn't love. Like when I would read an issue, I'd be like, yep, that was a pretty solid comic. It's a superhero comic, you know, yeah. it, 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 I think you, you put, hit the nail right on the old proverbial head, Django. It feels like a late 80s, early 90s comic where you're like, I'm not bummed I did that. But Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. I would give this a seven. Um, yeah, I, I I can't give you any any flaws with it. It's. Uh, I do good. think that the Otley art is worth mentioning that like it's, it's probably some of my favorite Spider-Man art in the last 15 years. Yeah. Like... I mean, I love it more than a lot of the stuff that was happening with Dan Slott, Spider-Man. Um, yeah, he's he's great, and it, yeah, and Nick Spencer's writing it, and I mean, that guy just knows how to how to push a story through you. Yeah, yeah, like your guts and your poopy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and your poopy and your guts. Your gut, your guts makes it go through. It pushes you through it. Are we up to Spider-Man's friend Venom now? I are they friends now? Well, Django, if it's time to talk about Venom 25, I can tell you about some things that uh, might elucidate uh, exactly that question. Uh, yes, it is. It's Donnie Cates, Mark Bagley, and who's this Owens? That's a great question. I think that he did some work in the backup. There's a backup story okay. here because Frank Martin um, does the colors. Andy Owens is the inker. I apologize. Did Stegman do anything in there? He did one double-page spread. Dang. And... So this is Venom 25, Donny Cates, all the people we just said. Um, it's crazy. This is Mark Bagley on the art in here. And for the first like 10 pages, because they did that thing where they hide the credits at the end of the issue. The first 10 <laughs> pages, I would have told you it was Ryan Stegman. Um, really? Yeah. Which is a crazy thing for me to say, given the history of our podcast. But, yeah, that's wild, man. Uh, the colorist and the inker. Like, do you see what I'm saying here? Yeah. Like, it's a crazy not looking bad. it looks like stagman um and the, so that's wild it's wild because everyone should check out venom 25 because it really forces me to redefine like what is what is it about bagley that i like and don't like and maybe it's the inker and the colorist that i've just not dug because there is art in here that's very good and then there's art in here that is very much like the bagley that i don't love yeah um the very flat stuff like here's um but yeah that's standard bagley yeah there's standard bagley in it which is there a story reason for that difference no huh. no i mean they, it, those scenes the scenes that are particularly good take place in a removed time but there's no reason i would say to make the art different at all um but those scenes of his of eddie brock's head talking that i just showed Django that are really nice art are him the, the framework for this device uh, of this issue is that for the last several issues, Eddie Brock has been on this island. Um, the symbiote made him think that he got off of it, but he was still trapped there. And Eddie Brock's son and Venom, the symbiote, team up to get him, like Eddie Brock, off the island, <clears throat> who's been possessed by Carnage. The the plot. The son has been possessed by Carnage. No, the son teamed up with Venom to get Eddie off the island, and Eddie has been possessed by Carnage. Okay. That it's. It's been like four or five issues of kind of nothing mm -hmm. um, to get us to a spot. 
which is ultimately Eddie reaching out for help to the Avengers and the, the framing devices of Eddie having a conversation with the Avengers and saying like, Hey, I appreciate that you guys have always thought of me as a better dude than I probably deserved. And I deserve to tell you guys that Noel is coming and we're going to need a lot of help. <laughs> but you know, absolute carnage wasn't terrible, but what happened in that book? Like we didn't really have carnage ever looking like carnage. We didn't really ever get Cletus Cassidy. Like there was never scenes of Cletus Cassidy. Like this issue, we get scenes of like Cletus Cassidy, orange hair, insane dude. Um, it's a it's a really weird event that was almost a non-event. Like because we didn't get well, no big things happened in it. Didn't didn't some like didn't it mostly give us the idea of the symbiote um, codex? in everybody and push that forward quite a bit and then end up killing who did it kill didn't they kill somebody at the end i don't know um it did bring up the idea of the codex and it pushed that forward but then that hasn't been talked about since then right um the codex really just served i think ultimately what absolute carnage Mm -hmm. is it brought carnage back but there is a double page spread in this that is the most like unabashed marvel like please stay tuned. Here's a shot of a bunch of stuff that's going to happen. And it's like, it's the picture that I sent you of the celestial covered in the symbiote. Oh yeah. It's got like null and an anti null. It's got anti null fighting a giant symbiote dragon. It's got a punisher symbiote. It's like a punisher venom with like a helmet coming on and like tubes going into him. And it's got ultimate Reed Richards, bad guy, like staring at the gate to the bridge of infinite Reed Richards and, so it got me excited for a lot of the stuff that will be happening in Venom. Um, but it, it, it was a very weird five-issue arc to ultimately just kind of bide time, it seems like. Um, Dan, did, did uh, Bagley do the whole thing? He did the whole thing. Man, that just seems... I mean, I, I don't want to be an asshole to a guy who you know probably put a lot of work into drawing five issues of a comic, but that seems abusive to Venom fans to me. It seems really strange. I mean, like, or you know, fan service because he was so involved in the birth of Carnage and sure. um, and all that stuff. But it, but I agree. It, it I, I think that Bagley is suited very well for certain things. I think he was yeah. suited well for the Spider-Man life story with Chip Zdarsky. Mm-hmm. I think he was particularly suited to draw like eras of that. But I don't know that he is like a perfect candidate for just your casual Marvel book. That being said, I feel bad for saying it because Darwin Cook, probably people could have said like, I think he's best served for drawing silver age stuff. And he was like, please, the love of God, let me draw something else. So, um, you know, I want to be a, a, a more supportive fan of just people making comics at the same time. I'm trying to have some sort of critical critique of them as well. So Venom 25, um, I'm glad that arc is done. I don't really know what our next arc is going to be. I know that we're building up to Noel is coming, which is going to be the event for this coming summer. Who Do you think knows when the Superman? I don't think that he's Superman. I think that he's Bendis, and they're Ooh. both coming. Yes, Bendis and Noel yes. are coming to DC <laughs> um, with a big smirky double page ad. Do you remember when the world was so simple that we would just record podcasts <laughs> and it would be Roman saying like, "I really hate this Bendis is coming ad with you know Superman looking so." joyless and self-confident and now we're like it's a fucking pandemic there's seattle is on fire there was a thunderstorm today everything is falling apart and you know you know what's our next book i give it um 
I give it a seven. Yeah. Uh, I, I, no, I give it a 6.5. Um, I give it a 6.5 because we need to have standards, but I do think that the book is, is worth reading. And I do just enjoy like, it's been two years now. Dan, Donnie Case has been on this book for two years. And yeah. I've read most of it. And, and I'm on record as saying, I wish that comics were written and put out in a way where stories were allowed to grow for a long time, where they would have the confidence in a writer and a story to kind of just let it go and trickle out and not have everything be, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man, you know, you just showed the, the Spencer run. You're right, that's another example of it. And I like that that's being allowed to happen. And not everything needs to be, a, you know, four issues of the best thing that you've ever read. But that being said, sometimes you go through the valleys and the valleys seem longer. So that's kind of what Venom is right now. But I'm glad that it exists and that I'm being allowed to just bond with a book. What would you give the series or the, the storyline of Venom Island? Uh, Venom Island, I would give a seven okay. to a 6.5. The same. Like, yeah. I think the four or five issues that it's been could have been two. So I think I read Venom 1 and maybe number two and then maybe one other issue. Well, you love Venom. Well, I just don't even need to. Like, I basically know everything that has or ever will happen in the Venom camp. And kind of like Chris Claremont, you just don't, like, you have so much Venom fan fiction built up that I yeah. get. It's probably like rubbing sandpaper against your, you know, bit fingernails, like to, to read other people writing Venom because it's just not, like, I know you don't have a publication deal for it yet, but like your Venom is your Venom. And I, frankly, your Venom is my Venom as well. Yeah, I love your I'm, Venom stories. I'm just glad that you're able to read this, uh, this other stuff that hacks like Donny Cates are writing. Right Listen, now. I have to. Listen, <laughs> I, if, if we're all going to stand at the altar of Django's Venom fan fiction, you know, one of us needs to get in the trenches and read this garbage. Well, Jeff, I read a couple of books from aftershock a couple of d books a couple of d books uh the first d that i'm going to give you a, a little reading about give me that d disaster inc oh by uh joe harris and sebastian Pires. it follows this uh couple I, I don't think that they're dating but it's a it's a sketchy dude and a nice girl who are sort of business partners or she works for him and they take tourists into dangerous areas so in this particular trip they're taking um, a group of people into the fukushima oh. nuclear zone and uh in the teaser in the very beginning of the issue we see these butterflies turn into a samurai and lop off some uh, scientists heads and uh, then then we go through this whole thing meeting this you know, plucky band of fools that are going into the same area. Uh, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of character work in it. And I don't know if it, that's necessarily a good thing. Um, that was I, my question. Good character work or bad character work? It's fine. It oh. just seemed like maybe it could have, depending on how long this series is and how important these people are. Like if they kill four of them in the next issue right out of the gate, like, I'm going to be a little bit bummed that I spent that long talking to him on an airplane in the middle of the issue. Dude, you just brought up something we have to talk about. All right. Fukushima, 2011. Yeah. yeah. That seems, in retrospect, like a very big deal that 
like was that like her like or sorry um chernobyl like that was like almost chernobyl level stuff right yeah and it was pretty poisonous just in general like there there were a couple things that um could have gone a little bit different with tides that would have brought that waste straight to us um and i think we're probably i i it might even still be kind of leaching into the ground and and falling apart um I, I, I would guess that we're going to be dealing with Fukushima for a while. Wow. Okay. But, well, not you know, to... we got to deal with one thing at a time, man. We got, we, we got, got disaster incorporated pandemic. right now. Oh, right. Sorry. We got the <laughs> pandemic. We got the disaster incorporated, then the pandemic, then Fukushima fallout. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, this, this issue is, is fine. It felt like, um, I don't know, man, like, like one of those horror movies that you just kind of go to because you can go see a, a movie that night and the horror movie is showing at the right time. And remember the days? You remember yeah. those days? Remember that? Remember that? <laughs> Jingo um, is the king of spontaneous, spontaneously going to a movie. <laughs> you were the king of that. What it. have you even done anymore? Yeah. I miss it. I just work all the time now. I don't have anywhere yeah. to go where I can't be on a computer. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, I wouldn't say it's great. Um, but it's a nice little distraction. And if you like the, the genre of, you know, a bunch of people going into a super dangerous kind of supernatural situation, I think, I think you dig it just, just fine. Um, I would give it probably a six for Django and probably a seven or seven and a half. If this is up your alley, like thematically, it's kind of uh, Jurassic park vibey. Yeah. Except they're not supposed to be going to Fukushima and they've got like some super sketchy guide who, you know, is missing uh, Pinky Finger, which I think is maybe alluding to him being Yakuza, mm. um, which I thought was interesting because there was something else in in this book where I don't remember what it was, but they they just show his pinky, and the the lead character woman is like sees it and and her eyes go big, and I know enough about you know gangs and and fiction fiction bad guys to know oh. That's that's uh, probably a Yakuza thing. But there was something else in this issue that I thought was really obvious that they over-explained. Uh, it was just an interesting kind of, like this guy assumes that you know about the Yakuza, but not about, you know, this, this uh, what a gangplank is or, you know, whatever the other, whatever. I don't know if that makes any sense. Life finds a way, man. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I also read Dead Day from Aftershock, the second and third Ds. It's worth mentioning that we don't know when Disaster Inc. came out. That just it showed up this week. We think it was a replacement for a it might have even been a pre-pandemic quarantine book that was shorted to us the week that it came out and showed up possible. two and a half months later. Thank you, Diamond. It could it could come out next week. Sure. We really don't know. We don't. We've got no idea. Um okay. Take, take that for what it's worth. Tell me about um, Dead Day and I'll get us a release date for Disaster Inc. All right. Uh, Dead Day is, so once a year, zombies or dead people show up. And they're not malicious or anything. They just kind of show up and, uh, well, maybe they are a little bit malicious. You know, I did not know what this book was when it showed up, but I actually remember that story being pitched to us at like Comics Pro or something. Yeah. And it, it seemed way more interesting to me than when I had forgotten about it. How was it? <laughs> it was pretty good. Um, the art isn't my favorite, but the story was was pretty good. There's, It follows this uh, 
family. The, the guy isn't super stoked that his wife is going to go out with some other dude on dead day. And we don't really know why. Um, but when the guy shows up, it, it seems like they're going to go kill somebody or something. Um, I don't know. I suspect that maybe because the, the, the guy that she goes out with never takes his, his motorcycle helmet off that we see. And I'm wondering if he's maybe dead, dead guy. Um, but it's, it's like the purge, but with zombies. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting setup. You and I read very different things. We've done 180 of these and I'm sort of like, yeah, <laughs> had that it's, I can see Django both disaster Inc and dead day are both books that I'd be like, nah, nah. You know, I like, uh, I like having, I guess I like having like a, a little taste of a concept. And if it's one, if, if it's, even if it's a concept, I don't really care about if it's well done, it's, it's worth it to test it out to me. Yeah. And to be fair, there's many, to be fair, there's to many fair. things that I read that you'd be like, nah, that's fucking, that's not fun at all, bud. Yeah. Um, yeah. May 20th was Disaster Incorporated. May 20th. So oh, that was week one. Ago. So we got it. We got it a little bit late. A week late. Um, Dead Day. Seven. Okay. Yeah. And and then you said the other one was a 6.5, right? And then a little bit higher if you, that was your kind of thing. A six, six, six for me. Probably a seven and a half for some people. Okay. I, I dig that you happily read a six, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I get frustrated. You know what? I like, we read, we both read a book this week that we decided not to talk about, which is, was it called Rogue Planet? Oh, yeah. yeah. And what I was thinking as I was reading about it, or reading it rather, um, is that unfortunately, I get more frustrated by things being mundane and banal than I do about them being poorly done. Mm-hmm. Like, like <clears throat> if it's bad, quote unquote, I mean, I don't know, like everyone's working their best, I like to think, but you, you read things at times, you're like, oof. Yeah. And, and that's not as bad to me as reading something that's just like really like 25 pages of waste like you know a poor i don't know do you what do you think about that do you get more upset by a thing that's bad or a thing that's just like infinitely forgettable because as i was reading real planet i was like man i'm not gonna be this is like eight different books that i've read and i just yeah. resent anyone thinking that i want this right now but that's I literally picked it up the next day and got three pages in before i remembered that i had already read it yeah um, but but like to to be fair to be fair by the end of that book, it's got some really interesting space horror stuff, like super pussy alien worms and, and the, the final page with the space, the space dudes that have like blood and gut worms coming out of their heads felt a little bit like um, nameless. The thing? To me. The whole thing. Or, like yeah, the thing. <laughs> I want to talk about Marauders number 10 by Gary Duggan, Stefano Caselli, and Edgar Delgado. I'm nice. so excited to have... An X-Men book come out. Um, if if anyone yeah. used to listen to the podcast in the pre-180s, uh, the pre-170s really, um, the Hickman X-Men storyline has been my favorite thing coming out in comics lately. And Marauders is very solidly in the, in the middle area of my favorite of the Dawn of X books. But um, the story of the Marauders books has been like, an issue I'll care about, an issue I don't care about, an issue I'll care about, an issue I don't care about. And that's just kind of been the story. But this issue was really, really good. I don't really remember what happened. I don't really care about the plot of Marauders, which is largely 
um, a sort of Game of Thrones-esque internal power struggle for sub-political parties of the larger nation of Krakoa, um, to put it in a nutshell. But there are interesting characters that I like in it. And what I do like in Marauders is that at some point, like several issues ago, Kitty Pride died. Oh, and I didn't know that. Yeah, that was like five months ago. Oh, wait, did she come back? No, because what? she can't get on the island. Oh, right. So they can't bring her back. So uh, the framing device for this issue is like this really sweet uh, email inbox letter written in you know infographic style from uh, Kitty Pride to Nightcrawler and just them being good buddies. And, and then the at end of the issue is Nightcrawler's response to that, but it's after she's died. Really touching stuff. That's a good emo- like a uh, good relationship. I like what Gary Duggan is is building up there. Um, the bulk of the issue is built around some political group taking advantage of some aspect of Krakoa. So the Marauders go. They use an alien ship that they've found somewhere to like quote unquote abduct a ship that has been being you know an aggressor upon them. Uh, erase their memories of everything that happened and everything that they've done that was bad and then make them think that they all got abducted by aliens. Okay. So that, that's a, that's a fun part. It's mostly who did they made who think that they were abducted by aliens? Some bad group. I, I, okay. But it was Marauders was coming, but yeah, humans. Okay. um, I was, I thought that you meant they used a ship to abduct aliens and convince aliens that they had been no. abducted by other aliens. They use a spaceship of their own okay. to pretend to... Um, marauders are like, they're the ones going into the countries that don't want to get on board with Krakoa, and they're stealing yeah. mutants out of it. So they're fighting against some sort of um, group that is, is mad at them. There's more nuance to it than that. But frankly, this isn't one of my favorite of the X-Men books, and I read it about a week ago, so um, four days ago. Um, I like Emma Frost a lot. Um, that's very good. Pyro still has the skull tattoo. That's good. It's does does he in in other books? Yeah, ish. I would say eighty five percent. Um, it, it, this is sort of an exercise for me because uh, the X Men books are there's a lot of nuance to a lot each of the different titles going on, and it's been three months since I've read any of them, so mm-hmm. um, some of the plot stuff is spotty for me. But I do really like the character work in this book. Uh, Gary Duggan is a guy I'm on record as saying like I don't have a Gary Duggan book but then one did come out and I forget what it is do you have a Jerry Duggan book I don't know whatever his name is Gary, Gary. Uh, is it is it uh, it's probably uh, Jerry Dead Eyes it's probably Dead Eyes it's huh? not Dead Eyes that's yours <laughs> um, oh yeah, it's, remember. it's um, Savage Adventures um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but Jerry that's totally his name but um I, I while I don't care about the a lot of like I don't care about the spider web of this story, I do care about some of the spiders and some of the insects caught in the web, if that makes any sense. So yeah. um I'll give this one a seven point five or an eight. Um That's and I pretty think it's good. A, it is. I, I liked it. I really did like it. And I'm really excited for more <clears> of these <throat> X Men books to be coming out. I, I really love being in the world of X Men right now and um I really like seeing emma frost you know taken open up her top she in order to in order to brainwash a bunch of dudes she like she's always like wearing almost nothing and like she's been wearing more lately which is good 
but she like unbuttons her clothing and just shows off all of this cleavage and her bare stomach and to all these men who come to assault her and uh and they're like oh and they all start blushing and then they all start shooting each other and she says it's easy to control um leering monkeys pyro pyro when they all have the same thought which is this awesome idea of like all of them were thinking about how much they want like when you can unify the oh. source of a field, it's easier to manipulate it. It's like, um, like, like how you can take a magnet and stroke a, stroke a piece of metal with it and align all the atoms and turn that other thing magnet. Yeah. And at some point, Roman told me that the reason Red Sonia wears almost nothing is because it allows her a fraction of a section, like a second to have the advantage on men who are like leering at her. Sure, that's like, probably why they did it originally. Sure, yeah, not at all, not at all. But <laughs> if you want to, if you want to put some small thing into Emma Frost's character, where for whatever reason she's always drawn falling out of her clothing, yeah. um, if you want to like put a psychic component to that, I like that. I think he's yeah. doing good stuff with character work, and and uh, well, it's not Savage Avengers, it's X Men, so I like that. It seems like a really long time since we read any. I guess the last X Men book that I read was number nine. Which came it was out, the I week? Think March March twenty fifth. Yeah, the the final week of comics had five yeah. X Men books. Yeah, that's right. I should have just saved them and read one every other week. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. What do you got next on the um, old list? Next on the old list, Jeff, is a book that came out last week. Oh. Oh my God! I want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, is it? It's Deadly Class number forty four. Uh, Rick Remender and Daniel Craig, right? Daniel Craig. That's James Bond. <laughs> um, Wesley Craig. Um, how, how, how many more issues do we have in that series? Just like one or two? Gotta be closing up. No. Um, that's a really good question. Rick Remender has Death or Glory still coming out. Low is winding down. Seven to Eternity is still coming out. He, he's, I feel like he's a guy who's almost kind of like closing up shop on comics. This says end of oh end of story arc. I is this the end was, of the arc? Yeah, I'll bet it's another five issue run and then it's over. I could feel that. I, I could see that. I could also see it going for like another three volumes because I, yeah. I would say like two mm-hmm. volumes into this thing, I didn't understand the overall course of this story. But um, this came out last week and I read issue 44 and issue 43 in the same sitting. 43 had come out right before quarantine. But... Deadly Class is a book that I am largely caught up on, but I do generally read five or six issues in a chunk at the end of a paperback. And I'll usually read the issues. Um, 43 had one of the most visceral moments of comic booking that I've experienced ever. Let's, let's unpack it, Django. You ever seen yeah. the movie Eight Mile? No. You've never seen Eight Mile? Is that the one about mom's spaghetti? Yeah. No, I haven't. Holy shit. That's I've seen the trailer. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Dude, I really think that you should go watch 8 Mile. That's it's it's really like one of my favorite movies of all time. In that movie, Eminem plays essentially Eminem. (laughs) This whole story doesn't work now that you haven't seen 8 Mile. Holy shit. Ultimately, spoilers for 8 Mile. And spoilers for Deadly Class. Brittany Murphy cheats on Eminem, even though they're not like super in a relationship. Um, and it like I was never able to watch a Brittany Murphy role again 
after like <laughs> after like 10 years old i like i was so i i identified and appreciated eminem's role of that character and maybe just overly identified with him so much in that movie that when she cheated on him i felt so like heartbrokenly betrayed it was my first experience of that type of betrayal and um essentially that happens in deadly class 43 and mm. it was done on a page turn it's like something shitty is happening and the main character is like walking through the woods trying to find some source of familiarity and he comes around an area and he sees his girlfriend having sex with a different character and it was like i had no idea it was coming i turned the page and it was like being stabbed in the heart it was so brutal um it, it's like one of the most effective like comic book pacing scenes i've read in a really long time i love it when a writer can pull that off and did you make a noise i don't remember it took like seven minutes of like feeling bad and remembering about my fears about relationships and like being close to, like it it felt bad it, and yeah. like and the way rick remender is it's at times I can be like, man, he's a little nihilistic and negative and it can be a little, a little too much almost. But then when the context for it makes sense, but like the way that he expresses this character processing that over the next couple of pages as he's like running through the woods is like really, really spot on. Um, that was issue 43 issue 44 is the one after it. It's part five. So maybe it's the last one in this arc or maybe there's one more. Um, this, this is the end of the arc. 44 okay. was the end of the arc. I swear that somebody told me that this book was ending. I think I've thought it was ending for a year now. Like I, yeah. I, I, I've genuinely thought that I've, I've mostly thought most of his stuff is ending. Yeah. Um, but his, the main character, the, the main character and his girlfriend, I've, I've thought there's a, another female character that there's been tension with that I like a lot more. And I've always wanted to be in the relationship with him. So in a very Degrassi esque way, I'm like, Oh cool. Now maybe these two will get together, but also, you know, spoilers, for all that and i'm sorry but um yeah it, it was some of the more like effective emotional manipulation i've read in the comic book of all time you know 43 issues in i have a weird relationship with this book at times it's just a little too much for me and other times i'm really enjoying it but the first 12 issues or 10 to 12 issues of it are always going to be some of my favorite comic books i've ever read so the whole rest of the series will sort of always be carried off that momentum and uh yeah, yeah i i would give <clears throat> if i could rate 43 and 44 together i would give it like you know, nine. Uh, well, that's the books we have to talk about. That's all the books? Yeah. Goodness gracious. Yeah, I mean, we even squeezed Rogue Planet in there by accident. Avengers 33 has a, it's a Moon Knight issue, and if you like Moon Knight, it's, you know, it's a very good, it's, you know, one thing that does come in next week, speaking to your point about just cool releases that are coming out, um, next week we're getting two copies of the Joss Whedon um, omnibus of Astonishing X-Men. Oh, one of, nice. one of those is for Jeff. Um, we can order more if people tell us right now that they want them, but, uh, cause they'll probably want to be in print for a little while, but, um, it made me think about, you had a, a customer who reached out to you and said, it'd be awesome to get a document up of all the great starting spots to read <clears throat> on different characters. Yeah. So my tomorrow, I'm very excited to put some work time in tomorrow, creating my list of all the good starting spots for all the different characters, um, could, could, hey can we talk for a second about that can i get your feedback on that yeah what do you got I've got a couple minutes here um so i've been thinking about it and in jeff's world 
if someone were to say, hey, what's the best spot to, like, spot to start on for Daredevil? Um, I would say Bendis' Daredevil run. Okay. But I think, because I think that's what I started on. And it, that it taught me a lot one. about comics and storytelling and like how comics are told in the modern day with writers and artists doing a run for a, a period of time right. and then trading it off. And, but, but do you think it's actually the Frank Miller stuff? I don't know, man. I read the born again and I enjoyed it, but I don't know that it's a great jumping on point for a modern reader. Okay. Okay. Um, that, that helps I think, to know. I think it's really good context. And I think that once you are, once you're good at comics or good at a character, um, I think that, I think that would be a really interesting book to read. Um, But it's not, I don't know, you know, like if you think about, if you think about the way that modern comics read is very different than the way that older comics read. And some of it has to do with just the writing style or the exposition or the the flow of the story because they w- used to be writing for one issue stories and now they're writing for five to sixty issue stories. Um, so I think that, and, and I think that the modern way of writing comics fits modern sensibilities better. Um, like Eli and I watched Mission Impossible one a couple nights ago, and I remember that just being the most action packed badass movie ever. It doesn't hold a candle to modern action movies. Hmm. And I think that's the same thing for older comics. Like you have to be able to appreciate them as a time capsule object. Um, And I think that giving somebody those early Frank Miller daredevils to get them into daredevil would not necessarily work right now, unless they had the vocabulary for it. I haven't read them. Um, But but that was my suspicion, which is why I wanted to say Bendis because I do think that it's more catered to the modern comic reader, mm-hmm. but I wanted to run it by you first. Um, I think, I think Bendis is good. Cool. It, although doesn't he kind of take daredevil out of daredevil? I don't think so. Like I, I didn't like, that was one of the first Marvel comics I got into. And it actually, like I thought that it was so good at being an introductory thing <laughs> that like, I've always considered it kind of like if someone I think Nathan Butcher very early on and him like coming to the comic shop was like, Hey, you know, give me something that I can get like a handle on in a a cohesive way. And I think I recommended that one, but that's one that I always do recommend to people because, you know, I, I think that it, I think that you can tell people, Hey, focus on creators. You Mm -hmm. like Grant Morrison's Batman. Don't assume you're going to like all Batman, go find other Grant Morrison stuff. That's a lesson that I think is really important. And I didn't learn that from someone telling it to me. I learned it from trying to figure out how comics work mm-hmm. and then reading Bendis's Daredevil and unlocking like, oh, a new writer and a new artist will come onto a book at a certain time and tell a story for a period of time that they want right. told and then they pass the baton off. I think, I think it's like a, a lesson in, in how to read comic books as well as being a really good story. Yeah. Did you read uh, Brubaker takes over after that, right? I did. I read the first half of Brubaker's run and didn't love it, but I haven't tried to read it since then. And that was before I worked at the store. And Mm -hmm. I do remember feeling like this is like a lesser version of Bendis's because the art style was very, it was like, it's Mac. So it's Maleev, but different. And then the Brubaker is like doing a Bendis thing. It it felt sort of like a cover band doing a thing. Um, Yeah. But I know Brubaker more now. Um, 
so to continue that theme, so we have a couple, since we have a couple minutes to eat up yeah. here, um, what is another property that you feel like you know a really good starting point for that I can add to this list? Uh, the shadow. Okay. Is that, and that might be a really good one. I'll defer to whatever you say on that one. <laughs> but since this is an audio podcast and I want it to be interesting to people, um, you know, like what would you say is the best? Well, like, you know, Batman is pretty easy. Um, what's another, what's another, like just a good character to have? Um, I mean, I think, I think Batman and Superman, we could both do in our sleep. Yeah. I think it would be good to have a Green Lantern introductory yeah, area um, and Green Arrow. That one's uh, harder. I think it would be good to have a, star, a good starting place for Thor, good starting place for Spider-Man. Like, where the fuck do you start somebody on Spider-Man at this point? Spider-Man Blue. Um, what do you okay, say? But, but, like, give, give me three Spider-Mans that I should give a 14-year-old Yeah, for his birthday. Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 1, Spider-Man Blue, Miles Morales Volume 1. All right. Done. Perfect. What else you got? Um, gosh. Uh, I don't know, man. Green like, Arrow is a confusing one. I don't know where to go with that. Yeah. There are there are listeners out there being like, fucking tell me where to start with blank. And we're like, I don't know. What's I don't know, man. There's good comics. Good comics. Yeah, I mean, I think all the CW characters yeah. we should have a good answer for. And I would say for Green Arrow, probably Rebirth is yeah. is as good as anything that's out there right now. Um, or the Neil Adams Green Green Lantern Hard Traveling Heroes run. Yep. Yep. Hawkeye's easy. Um Flash is probably the Wade stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor. Thor is probably either the Walt Simonson stuff or the Jason Aaron stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I would start with Jason Aaron, but yeah. I've never really read any of the Walt Simonson stuff. So Roman would probably be able to point to a specific. What are some of the other? Of that? I guess Iron Man will want to know that. What is the, what is the go-to Iron Man story? Extremis? it would be Extremis, yeah. 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 That's probably the only Iron Man story I own because it's... Um, Warren Ellis Joel could probably tell us exactly what the best Iron Man is but I don't it might just be that one issue that was the first comic he ever bought he might be as stuck on that as I am on the shadow what are the good that Iron Man is a really interesting character because he he occupies a much more interesting space in Marvel continuity than he provides stories yeah well and he he was such a low-level character until the movies started taking off. Like he was a. But he was always C-list. a priest. No, he was a founding member of the Avengers. Yeah, but nobody, nobody liked him. Like nobody, yeah. nobody was after Iron Man comics to speak. Yeah, of. like right. we, if if you talk to any of our silver and bronze age nerds, they they're Demon not. Demon had a bottle in the armor wars. Yeah. Um. Okay. What else we got? What are some other good ones? to 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 make sure we find the starting points for um captain marvel and captain america captain america um batgirl which one i don't know man that's a good point though it's a (laughs) bummer right today is a real bummer django uh like today as in 
the last two months or just like today? Okay, today? but the last two months have been rough, but the last three days, the bottom fell out, bud. It's like carrying your groceries out of Fred Meyer, knowing that you shouldn't have been there, and then the bag breaks, and you're picking up oranges off of a coronavirus floor. Did that happen to you? No, it didn't happen to me, but this whole <laughs> fucking, like, you know, fuck the police coming straight from the underground oh, yeah. shit is a real bummer. Yeah, that is. Yeah. yeah. I am. Um, uh, I'm exhausted. Me too, bud. It's a, and it's you know what? In, in the world. You can't sit on your phone and whip out, you know, just hanging out on the internet mm-hmm. as a source of comfort because everything will bum you out. So. I read the entire resurrection of Ra's al Ghul in the last 24 hours. Well, Django, I don't know. We've probably done everything we need to do here. Um, you know, right? I think Anything so. else to clean up? Any, I don't any, remember how this works, really. That seems like a good place to end for the day, <laughs> bud. Um, can I get your favorite issue of the week? Uh, my favorite issue of the week, I think, was probably... <laughs> Green Lantern season two, number three. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that at all briefly? That seems like worth mentioning. Uh, I just, you're like, not I talking about your favorite fucking comic you read each week. Why are you even here? Why would anyone listen if we're not talking about the shit that we like? I didn't even realize it until you just asked me that. But I read three, all three issues of Green Lantern Black Stars. And then I read the first two issues of Green Lantern season two in order to read this week's Green Lantern comic. And so that might have enhanced my enjoyment. Um, That kind of boggles my mind. Why were you in such a hurry to read Grant Morrison's Green Lantern? Because I didn't want to get it farther behind. And I liked, I really like the art in this one. This, this one has um, Liam Sharp doing some crazy, like uncanny Valley. Um, But this, this is, I don't know. It's it's super weird, ooky Grant Morrison stuff that is built heavily on the last two issues of the series. Um, he's got these crazy, cute winged cats that are following Hal around because this uh, is mm. something that happened mm. in the previous issue, and he just ends up in an alternate dimension saving people. Did um, the art make sense? Like it, it is a huge departure from Liam Sharp's very painterly liney european style this is like a very digital yeah and i don't know that i could tell you exactly why it switches because it there there's not a scene where it changes for a reason that i can find but i i love the art and it follows uh it follows him into another dimension where this cloud monster is searching for its baby that has been transported to earth. And, um, it, the, the whole thing is a little bit weird and slippery. It, I don't know that it, it was just a, a good comic. I think it was the best one of those six green lantern comics that I read yesterday. Hmm. Um, gosh, my, I think my favorite book of the week was, um, Marauders 10. Hmm. I don't, I don't know if I gave it the highest score, but I think it was the most, I was just the happiest that I was to be back in that corner of comic books. Yeah. It's a good corner. It's a good corner. It's the Hickman corner. Um, all right, Django. I'll probably see you tomorrow. We should, we should plug some things. We've got the Please. book club on Mondays. Yes, Monday. Um, um, Monday so at 8 p.m. If you're listening to this on the day that it came out, it'll be this evening at 8 o'clock. You can get that link on Facebook. We post it on there. Or you can just hit us up, info at thecomicspace.com. We'll shoot you a Zoom link. 
yeah invite we're going to be talking about um east of west volume five which i need to read and uh and then the following monday we're going to be talking about gideon falls number one i believe nice i'm excited for that yeah um Let's see. We also have some other podcasts or something that are going to come out someday. Yeah, hopefully, uh, probably hopefully the same day this podcast <laughs> comes out, there'll be a new podcast feed and a new podcast dropped onto our feed. But I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll 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 see. Um, and gosh, I guess we're doing deliveries three days a week now, which is exciting. Well, Sunday, four. Wednesday, Friday. Oh, never mind. That's three. Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. That's four. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh, we, we're gonna have a month of Sundays. I love it. Uh, that's that's about it, right? That's about it. I miss everyone. Yeah, we should uh, we should just have a twelve hour hangout on Zoom. Invite everybody. I'd do it. All right. Gosh, I just I either gained a day or lost a day. I was excited to order a Lego set that's coming out on the first, and now I got to wait till Monday. What is it? It's a Lamborghini. Ugh, okay, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye, buddy. I'm Lego. Get another Batmobile. I'm My name's Jeff. Lego. <laughs> no, Legos are cool. Lambo, <laughs> Lamborghinis. Oh no. My uh, name's Lambo. Lambos, much more subtle. Uh, that's my that's my Alfred Pennyworth via Michael Caine. He said that was like maybe one of the most important roles he's ever done in his career would be uh, Alfred. I can just hear the outro music playing beneath all this. See you guys later. <laughs>